0: Uh, We're in a sermon series titled Human Who God Says I Am and Why It Matters. And we believe that there are eight statements that should form the identity of every person on the planet, whether you are a Christian or not. And these eight statements are as follows Number one, I was made on purpose for a purpose. Number two, I am made in God's image and am therefore valuable. Number three, God chose my sex, and it is good. Number four, I have a sin nature, but God can help me rise above it. Five, I am designed for loving relationships. Six, I am accountable to God for how I live. Seven, I will live forever, and my future depends upon my relationship with Jesus Christ. And then finally... I am designed to know God and make Him known. If you're not a Christian, it is our sincere prayer that God's vision for your life uh, will be found by you so beautiful that you will run to God in faith. And for those of us who are Christians, the fact of the matter is there's a lot of, uh, there are a lot of false ideas circulating in our society about who we are and those false ideas tend to seep into our thinking. And so we need, uh, we need to be corrected, right? We need the Word of God to renew our minds. And so let this series be a renewing of the minds for all of us. So I have a picture here of uh, Ward Hurlburt flying his Super Cub over the Mendenhall Glacier. And this is a beautiful picture beautiful airplane, a beautiful person. Airplanes are amazing. My brother flies a Super Cub, and the last three hunts, moose hunts I've been on have been airplane-supported, and it makes a world of difference, let me tell you. Uh, Airplanes help us do what we could not do on our own. They help us rise above our human limitations. And in the same way, we need God to help us rise above the limitations of the sin nature. That's, there's the thesis for today. And all I'm going to be doing for the rest of the time is unpacking that statement. I want to take a moment to contrast the Bible's teaching about human nature with what I think is sort of the, the dominant secular belief out there. So, uh, secular society starts with the assumption that we humans are products of evolution. Uh, that we kind of won the natural selection game, and that's that's uh, why we are who we are. And so here is, I think, uh, now there are lots of ideas out there about human nature, but I think this is the dominant one. Here it is: humans are born morally good, or at a minimum, morally neutral. Humans are born morally good with an instinct for self-interest, and that's understandable because. Uh, people who are self-interested better survive, right? And so that's kind of an instinct that's been uh, developed throughout the ages uh, through the evolutionary struggle. And so we have an instinct instinct for self-interest. But if society will eliminate threats to people's well-being and teach people right from wrong, most people are going to choose to do good. Okay, that's, I think, is uh, the impulses Of our sin nature. I want to unpack these statements with two questions. And the first question is this uh, Why do we act badly? Uh, If we, our answer to that question will undoubtedly influence our solution. So, why do we act badly? Well, secular society says uh, the reason we act badly is because uh, we feel threatened. We feel threatened. Uh, That we have an instinct for self-preservation, we have an instinct for self-interest, and we would be fine if we weren't threatened. And sometimes when we're threatened, uh, we will, well, when we're threatened, we'll do what we need to do to preserve, take care of ourselves, and sometimes that means we might act badly if we think that that's necessary. Uh, So one way to think about this would be uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs in 1940s, Maslow developed his hierarchy of needs pyramid. And on the bottom of the pyramid are uh, the most significant needs we have, our visceral needs. He calls them our physiological needs. We have to have air to breathe and and water and food and shelter. And so when, you know, if, if uh, those needs are being uh, threatened, boy, humans will do a lot, right? And uh, sometimes we will act badly in the eyes of society in order to take care of ourselves. The next tier in the pyramid of needs, Maslow says, is safety. If we feel that our safety is threatened, we're going to act. The next one up is love and belonging. We have a need for love and belonging. And above that is the need for esteem. And above that, self-actualization. And before he died, Maslow toyed with a sixth hierarchy, a sixth kind of level, which was self-transcendence. But, but secular society will say, "Listen, okay, humans uh, have a self-interested instinct, and if someone feels that their needs are not being met or their needs are threatened, well, they're going to act, and they will act you know, sometimes badly if that is perceived as needed in order to kind of take care of ourselves. Now, what does the Bible say is the reason people act badly? Well, the Bible says the reason we act badly is because we're broken, that we have a sin nature, and that sin nature is bent toward wickedness, is bent toward evil. In Genesis chapter 8, God explains why He sent the flood. So, here we see God's sort of internal processing before He decides to send the flood to destroy humans. Genesis 8.21, the Lord said in his heart, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And so God sent the flood and wiped out everybody except for Noah and his family. Now, Noah and his family also had a sin nature, and that sin nature wasn't wiped out by the flood. It didn't get washed away. Uh, It continued into um, Noah's Progeny. So, hundreds of years later, David, the king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, and yet he says in Psalm chapter fifty-one, verse five, "Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and and in sin did my mother conceive me." And he's not saying here that mom was, you know, uh, a wanton woman, or that she, you know, she did something uh, inappropriate in having me. Uh, he's talking about his own sin nature and the fact that from uh, just from the time he was born, he, he has had an inclination toward evil. He's talking about the sin nature. And so, uh, why do people do wrong? It's because of the sin nature. Now, a little bit of the backstory, remind us of the backstory. God created humans morally neutral. And there was only one thing that God said we couldn't do. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And he says, Adam and Eve, you can pretty much do anything you want to do. You can eat from every uh, tree here except one tree, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit from that tree because when you do, you shall surely die. And uh, somewhere along the line, Adam and Eve decided it was uh, in their best interest to eat from the forbidden fruit. They did, and as a result, um, death entered. And that is uh, that has corrupted, it corrupted Adam and Eve, and that, that corruption was passed on to Adam and Eve's children and grandchildren, all the way down to us. And so here's the way the Apostle Paul puts it in his letter to the Christians in Rome, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, "'Therefore,' Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, okay, think about that, sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, and with death comes sin, and so death spread to all men, and that includes us, because all sinned. So he's talking here about the principle of sin and death that is at work in the world and at work in all of our hearts. Uh, We're born with a sin nature. Uh, Another way to say that is we are spiritually dead, and as a result, we sin. We're broken. We have a bent toward evil. Elsewhere in the Bible, uh, the Bible talks about uh, the three big triggers for sin, I guess you'd say. I don't know if that's the right word, but the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the world, the flesh, and the devil conspire to cause us to sin and to proliferate sin in the world. The world, or, uh, the world is kind of the world system. The fact that you can, uh, with just a few keystrokes, access pornography from you know, any electronic internet device. Uh, it's the fact that there are prostitutes. It's the fact that there is injustice and that there is famine and that there is economic insecurity in the world. Okay, so the world, and then the flesh is our own brokenness, our own proclivity or bent toward evil. And then the devil, uh, a fallen angel, and his demons, also fallen angels, who are actively trying to get us to sin. And the world, the flesh, and the devil together produce sin in our own lives and in our world. That's the biblical answer for why people do wrong, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, understanding the problem will obviously influence your solution. It determines your solution. And so, you know, what can we do to help people behave behave, or do right? Uh, society says two things. Number one, well, uh, seek to eliminate the threats to people's well-being. If society will do a better job at um, providing for people's needs, then people will not be, feel feel as threatened, and therefore they won't be triggered to go act badly. And so create, you know, work to create a more just and uh, verdant society, right? Uh, And secondly, their second answer is education. Educate, educate. And what are we educating people? We need to help people understand that it's ultimately in all of our best interests if we will agree to sort of treat other people the way we want to be treated. Now, I think that for secular society, morality is ultimately about personal rights, uh, what society, society doesn't recognize things as, uh, secular society doesn't recognize things as being sort of right or wrong in the eyes of God. It's just, it's, it's what is morality? Morality is, look, there are some things that I want to be free to do and I don't want you to do to me. And so I have a, a rights bubble and I understand that I need to, I need to grant that to you. I'll, I will agree not to violate your rights if you don't agree, if you will agree not to violate my rights. And that's, I think, morality for secular society, which is uh, why we have the United Nations uh, Declaration of Human Rights. Essentially, that's what it's doing. What can we, let's all get in a room. Let's all, uh, let's all agree on, you know, James, what is it that you want reserve? You know, what rights do you want? Okay, I can agree. I want those myself. I won't violate yours. You won't violate mine. That's morality today. And so society says we got to teach people uh, that we are all better off by not violating each other's rights. Now, these, this is not wrong in and of itself. I think that uh, God calls us to pursue justice in society, right? And to uh, elevate uh, everyone's economic situation. Now, there's no doubt in a more just, verdant uh, society will have fewer triggers, uh, towards, uh, for basically the world has less ammunition to trigger the flesh. We agree with that. And uh, Jesus is the one who said, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And so certainly uh, don't violate other people's rights. That's respecting people's being created in the image of God. Absolutely a good thing. Uh, So we don't disagree with that. It just falls short. Secular society's prescription for helping people be you know, good falls short because it doesn't deal with the brokenness within. It doesn't say there's something wrong with us other than, you know, sometimes, oh, some people have a mental illness, their brains are broken, they need medical help, they need a prescription. But secular society doesn't say there's something broken within us that needs to be fixed, that needs to be healed. We have a a sin nature. That's not part of the prescription. So now let's talk about uh, the Bible's prescription for uh, helping people um, be be better, be good. And it's all about, you need God. You need God's help. On your own, you will never rise above the the sin nature. Philippians chapter 2, if you're going to kind of take one scripture today, maybe this is it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul, again, he, l- he writes a lot of the stuff in the Bible. He's writing a letter here to the Christians in Philippi. And he, s- he writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the key. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Wow. So Paul is telling Christians God is at work within you and he is affecting your will and he is empowering you to do right. And so uh, Christian people have a huge advantage in this struggle for, uh, to be good people because God is at work in our lives. And He's actually uh, affecting our will so that we, we want to do right. <clears throat> when I was about 30 years old, and I've been a Christian since I was a kid, but when I was about 30 years old, it, it dawned on me that for some reason, I finally understood that part of the Christian calling is to love other people as myself, right? I had done, I think I'd done a pretty good job becoming moral, and I really did love the Lord, uh, but, but I was super challenged at around 30 with love your neighbor as yourself, and I thought, wait a second, that's not good. That puts me all the way back as a novice. You know, I, I've been to seminary. I got all kinds of education. I'm a pretty moral guy. But when I'm honest with myself, man, do I love other people as myself. And so I began to pray, Lord, uh, would you help me change in this area? And 15 years later, I think that's the biggest change that I've had in the last 15 years. By no means am I there. But I am I'm far, I'm much farther along. I do care more about people for people than I did in the past. And here's what I uh, what I believe, far more than I could have on my own, that God has been in, at work in my life, uh, changing my will, and then empowering me, because He helps us want to do it, and then He empowers us to do it. And so, whenever you say, whenever you set your mind to do something that is according to the will of God, God's power is there. He is going to help you. He will move heaven and earth so that you can uh, fulfill your God godly desires. <clears throat> but non Christians, you know, don't have that. They don't have God at work in their lives. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't make uh, some. Uh, advances in in being moral people. Hey, not every ba- uh, non Christian is as bad as she could be, right? Or absolutely, people can can uh, can make moral strides in their own strength. But uh, you're far. You have a huge advantage when God is at work in your life. In Galatians chapter five, the Apostle Paul again. Now he's writing to Christians in the city of Galatia. Galatians chapter five. Uh, verses 16 to 24, a little bit longer, but here's what he's he's saying. I'll read this, but he's saying, guys, Christians, you're indwelt with the Spirit of God, and as a result, you've got uh, the Spirit of God uh, leading your life, and you have an, an option. You can choose to follow God's uh, the Spirit's lead, and if you do, uh, He's going to help you overcome or rise above the sin nature. But I say, walk by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Flesh here is sort of uh, shorthand for the sin nature and its impulses. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. But... But note, as a Christian, you have the Spirit of God inside you uh, counteracting, fighting against your sin nature to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, for the works of the flesh are evident. So here are the works of the flesh. Here's what the the, uh, sin nature will produce in our lives unchecked, sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Things like these. That's not an exhaustive list, guys. I'm just pointing you toward is what he's saying. It's this kind of stuff. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, okay, so if you're, uh, if you're letting the sin nature just go rampant and you're following the, uh, the impulse of the sin nature, that's where it takes you. But the fruit of the Spirit, if you, let the, if you walk by the Spirit, let the Spirit have control of your life. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. In other words, uh, God is happy with those things. Let those things proliferate in your life. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. So, the point, you see the point here is, man, um, Christian people have the power to become the most moral people in the world. And so, And I think it's a good thing that society has expectations. And uh, Christians are supposed to be good, and then they call us hypocrites when we're not. And you know what? That kind of societal pressure is probably not bad for us. There's a reason they expect that. And we should expect that of ourselves. John chapter 7, verses 33 to 39 here is Jesus telling us how we get the Spirit of God uh, to indwell us. It doesn't happen automatically. Jesus says, or, or, so here is John the Apostle uh, giving his account of the life of Christ. It's his gospel. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So John's telling us what Jesus said. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's awesome. Uh, In the Old Testament, God promises, I'm going to come and put a new heart within you by my Spirit. Now this, Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So how does one get the Spirit? By believing in Christ. He said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive. You want to receive the Spirit of God you must believe in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ, and then the Spirit of God will come and be at work in your life. All right, I'm going to now hit what I think are three big takeaways of this topic. The first one, uh, we've kind of hit a little bit, but it's those indwelt with God's Spirit have a huge advantage in the struggle to be moral. Uh, Non-Christians can make advances in morality. They can. They can become pretty, you know, pretty darn moral people. But they're doing it in their own strength. And how, how much uh, better off we are, what a huge leg up we have when God is at work in our lives, uh, adjusting our will and empowering us to do what is right. Number two, I'm going to sit on this for a little bit. Number two, we can be moral in our own strength But apart from Jesus Christ, we cannot be righteous. So, on your own, apart from God, you can become, you know, quite moral. But you cannot be righteous, and there's a difference. Righteousness has to do with how God sees us and what God declares about us. And God, you will not be declared righteous by God uh, apart from faith in Jesus Christ. That's just the case. Uh, and first off, it's because you can't be good enough. You might become more moral, but, but God's standard is perfection. And no person on the planet, even the Christian person, this side of heaven attains moral perfection. In Romans chapter 3, Apostle Paul again, writing in to the Romans. None is righteous. No, not one. That includes you, that includes me. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And a few verses later we we read, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you uh, you might improve in your morality, you might become a better person, but you're never going to attain God's standard of perfection. So God will always declare you sinful and having fallen short. You will not be declared on your own righteous before God. Paul is talking about the Jews who were very zealous uh, to be moral in his day. In Romans chapter 10, He says to his fellow Christians, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, them being the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So here's what Paul's saying: Look, the Jewish people, I can testify because I came out of that. They are zealous for God, and they are they are uh, passionately trying to be moral. They're trying to establish their own righteousness, but it's not going to work. There is only one path to being declared righteous, and that is by putting your faith in God's Son Jesus Christ. And to try to uh, win God's approval through your own efforts, Paul says, is a failure to submit to God's righteousness. Isn't that interesting? It's a failure to submit. It flows out of a rebellious heart. Because God says, I have provided a way to be righteous, and that's by uh, receiving the gift of salvation that my son offers. And so to try to do it on your own apart from, from my son is actually a failure to submit. So, what is, what is it that, why is Christ the end? Here's why. Jesus Christ is the only man, the only person to have ever lived a completely righteous life. And God offers, when we put our faith in Christ, His righteousness is credited to our account. We become, we, we become clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So you can be as moral as as you can be, and I'm not saying that that's not impressive, but God will never declare you righteous on your own efforts. It's it's only when we say, I can't on my own, and Christ, please, I want your righteousness to be mine. And then we stand uh, righteous in the eyes of God, declared righteous by Him. And it makes all the difference because that's what opens up access to a relationship with God, right? Our relationship with God is not dependent upon our own effort. It's dependent upon the already finished work of Jesus Christ. And so, okay, so let me talk very candidly, or uh, just very clearly. If you're not a Christian, um do you understand that you cannot be declared righteous apart from Jesus Christ? You've got to wrestle with that. But God, God wants you to uh, receive the gift of salvation that Jesus offers. Final takeaway. The sin nature remains with us until we die, but God can help us rise above it. This is important to understand as Christians. Yes, the Spirit of God lives within us. Yes, God is transforming us. Uh, but that sin nature is with us as long as we inhabit the body. It will be removed from us when we die and rise again in our, in our new resurrected bodies, but for the rest of our earthly life, there is this principle of sin and death at work within us. We have the Spirit of God who can empower us to rise above it, but we have to, you know, we have to struggle with the sin nature day in and day out for the rest of our lives. but we can, our trajectory can be up, right? Because we learn to walk by the Spirit more and more and more. And uh, and even though we're constantly um, taking new ground, it's pretty awesome to have a lot of the ground behind us already taken by God. Make sense? But you got to understand, it's not going to, a lot of people become Christians, they think, you know, as once I become a Christian, all my problems go away. No, uh, you have the power of God who can help you overcome, but you're probably going to still uh, wrestle with a lot of the things you were wrestling with uh, the day before you became a Christian. But now God's power is at work in your life. All right, let's pray. And I want to just, uh, if you're not a Christian... You're at church, so you're interested in spiritual things. You probably want to be um, a good person. And, uh, and God says, you know what? You don't have to do, do life on your own. I am available to you, and if you will uh, put your faith in my son, Jesus, I will put my spirit within you, and my spirit will begin to work uh, within you so that you will will uh, to do what is right. And so I encourage you to uh, accept God's offer, to put your faith in Jesus Christ, His Son. And man, uh, maybe today you're thinking, "Ah, I have been trying and and failing and trying and failing to to be good enough. And maybe you're even exhausted, but uh, God in His mercy has revealed to you it's a fruitless struggle. Don't give up, just uh, surrender to Christ's to God's righteousness through Christ. He wants to give you the righteousness of Jesus. We can never be good enough on our own. We have to give up that false hope and instead embrace the gift God offers us through His Son, Jesus. And Jesus' death upon the cross, which paid the penalty for our sins. And so I invite you right now, there's no magical prayer, but... God sees our hearts, and so here's something you could say. You could say, God, uh, I acknowledge that I am a sinner, that I have a sin nature, that I'm broken on the inside, and I need to be changed. I need to be healed and rescued. And I know know that that healing is only through faith in your Son, Jesus. And so right now, I, I repent of my sins and put my faith in your Son, Jesus. Help me to live a life that is pleasing to you in the power of your spirit. And if you pray something like that, and you mean it the best you know how, God will honor that. And your sins will be taken away as far as the east is from the west, remembered no more, and the spirit will come to indwell you. And he'll empower you to live a transformed life, and, and then when you die and your body goes into the ground, the spirit of the living God, the same spirit that brought Christ back from the dead, will raise your body to life everlasting. And it's in his name we pray, amen.